Tonight, I want to speak to you on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The Lordship of Jesus Christ. See, one day Paul, the apostle, wrote and said, I determine to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. At best, the overriding message of the preacher should be Jesus Christ. Amen. It should be the central theme of our teachings and our preaching. And Jesus is Lord and we emphasize he is Lord. You know, sometimes you have heard other religions talk about the fact that they too, they have some lords and they mention their names. I won't really give them the honor of mentioning their names on this holy pulpit. But those lords are not Lord. Amen. And there are many other small gods, but they are not God. Now, Jesus the Christ is Lord. And it's very important that the believer understands why we say he is Lord. Amen. The word Lord means master or owner. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and the verse number 22 to 24. And then we will take it from verse 32 to 36. Tonight we will read a lot of scriptures. And one of the things you must love about the scriptures is that when you read the scriptures or you are exposed to the scriptures, you get anointed. Because the word of God is life and it is spirit. In Acts chapter 2, we all know what happened from the beginning of that verse. Chapter 1, Jesus had left to heaven. And the Bible says the disciples saw him as he was taken up out of the earth. You can only be Lord to do that. He went up against the force of gravity. And the Bible says two angels appeared and said, Ye men of Galilee. Why do you stand gazing up to heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken away from you shall come in the same way. Church, he's coming back again. And, and the Bible says that he told them to go and wait in Jerusalem until they be empowered with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says they went on and waited. And 10 days after, in Acts chapter 2 verse 1, the Holy Ghost came. And filled all of them and they began to speak in other tongues. And as they began to pray in tongues, the Bible says the noise attracted people from afar. And people came towards the building where the apostles were gathered, 120 of them, praying and waiting on the Lord Jesus' instruction. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began to pray in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And the Bible says, as the people gathered, more than 3,000 people gathered, some began to mock at them and Peter stopped praying in tongues. And he said, ye men of Israel, we are not drunk as you suppose, but this is the third hour of the day. This is 9 a.m. in the morning. But this thing you are witnessing is that with the prophet Joel in Joel 2.28 prophesied that in the last days I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and they shall see visions. And upon my maid servants and handmaids and, and men servants in those days will I pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Church, if the last days began on the day of Pentecost, then we are deep in the last days. And, and the Bible said that whilst Peter said these things, he began to preach to them. And I want to take a section of the message he preached to them on that day. In the verse number 22, he said, people of Israel, God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth by doing powerful miracles wonders and signs through him 
The King James says that God attested Jesus Christ, a man attested by God, a man endorsed by God. Hallelujah. Jesus is Lord because he is endorsed by God and is attested by God. And the Bible says miracles, wonders and signs through him. As you well know, verse 23, but God knew what would happen and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. Verse 24. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grip. Hallelujah. Jesus is Lord because death could not keep him in his grip. Death can kill others and hold them. But death is afraid of Jesus. I said death is afraid of Jesus. Hallelujah. And so the Bible says, because death could not hold him captive. Verse 32, God raised Jesus from the dead. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason why Jesus is Lord is because he was raised from the dead and he's not dying again. See, the difference between him and all others who were raised from the dead, from the young boy that Elisha raised back to the dead, to the... Lazarus, who was raised back from the dead through um, Dorcas, who was raised back to life by Peter and all the other miracles we have seen in the scriptures and outside the scriptures. It is very clear that all those people, they died again. Lazarus died again. That young man later grew up, but he, he died again. All of them, Dorcas died again, but Jesus died and rose again and he's not dying again. Hallelujah. And all other religious leaders, their founders are dead and they are not going to rise until the day of the resurrection. And if they have not accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, unless they have deceived their followers today, they will rise and face him on the day of judgment and they will be judged. And they will either be going to heaven to be with him forever or they will go to hell and they will be in the lake of fire forever and ever. Jesus Christ is Lord and every Christian must be proud that they are Christians and that they are, they are truthful to their faith and they believe this very truth. Hallelujah. The Bible says that Jesus raised from the dead by God, verse 32, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of honor in heaven at God's right hand. Hallelujah. He's sitting at God's right hand. And I will share with you some things this evening. And the Bible says, And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour upon us, just as you see and hear today. When the Holy Ghost was poured out, people saw and they heard. When we are full of the Holy Ghost, people must see and they must hear. Amen. We can't speak in tongues secretly. Sometimes we have to speak in tongues publicly. It must be spoken for people to hear. If the day the Holy Ghost came for the first time in the baptism, people heard it from afar. How can people say that we can't speak in tongues publicly? The Holy Ghost came in a public show and people gathered to go and find out what was going on. They began to mock at them. That means that when you speak in tongues, it is possible for people to mock at you. And it's all right. Hallelujah. Their mockery will make them get saved. Their curiosity and inquisitiveness 
will make them get to know Jesus as they did on this day. Verse 34, for David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, there are two lords here. One of them is in all capitals, the father, said to my Lord, Jesus, the son, sit in the place of honor at my right hand. Take note of the word sit because I'm, I'm going to share some things with us here tonight. Why the sitting at the right hand is emphasized by the scriptures. Why he had to sit. The sitting was necessary because it is finished. Hallelujah. The Bible says sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies. Making them a footstool under your feet. Verse 36 is where the title of the message came from. So let everyone in Israel, and I place emphasis on this, let everyone in Israel, and let me also stretch it, and let everyone in the world know for certain that God has made this very Jesus, not, not the other Jesuses. There is a footballer called Jesus. It's not the one we are talking about. This very Jesus who died and rose again from the dead. God, the Father, has made Lord and the Messiah. The word Christ. The Hebrew word for the word Christ is the word Messiah. Hallelujah. The word is Lord, Master. Amen. Master over all the masters. Master and owner. Glory be to Jesus. He is the owner of your life. Glory be Jesus. Mark chapter 16 verse 19. Because we have just seen that God side. And it is confirmed in Mark chapter 16. Where we see the first record of this event. In Mark 16, 19 to 20. The Bible says, So then, after the Lord has spoken to them, he was received up into heaven. And he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. He sat down. And they went out, the believers, the apostles, and they preached everywhere. And the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. May signs and wonders follow you as you preach the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, after Jesus rose from the dead and he gathered his apostles and disciples and gave them the great commission. The Bible says, afterwards, he was lifted up from the earth and he went up. And the cloud received him from their side. And the Bible says, and he was received into heaven. And he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Hallelujah. He sat down. Let me bring you one more scripture of he sat down. And then I will take you to the next level. Ephesians chapter 1 and the verse number 20. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. He sat down. He sat down. Why, should he, why did he sit down? The Bible says in um, Acts chapter, Ephesians 1.20, sorry, Ephesians 1.20 first. It says, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Why is the scripture recording the fact that Jesus sat down? Because he is Lord, he sat down. And the reason why it was necessary for him to sit down was because the furnitures, see, in the Old Testament, and tonight we'll run through the book of Hebrews, but in the Old Testament, as God was painting the picture and setting the foundation of the plan that he had for the salvation of humans, 
The Bible says he set up a priesthood. And then he also commanded Moses to build a tabernacle. And also to construct an ark. And then the Bible says that the tabernacle was divided into three places. The outer court, the inner court, and the most holy place. And certain equipment or furniture were placed in those places. The priests, all the priests generally, they work in the middle court, which is the inner court. And then only the high priest goes into the holy of holies where the ark of the covenant was and on top of the ark of the covenant was the mercy seat and the altar of incense that is made of gold that's where god meets moses that is where the presence of god is the shekinah glory of god is in the most holy place and every year once a year once a year the high priest will go into this place carrying two bowls of blood, one for himself and one for the sins of the people. And he pours it to make mediation and sacrifice for the sins of the people. And, and the Bible tells us that there were certain things there, but one thing that was missing in that place was a seat. There was no seat in the holy place. There was no seat in the holy of holies because the priest must stand to minister daily they don't sit because sins have not been forgiven so they carry on with their work and they stand daily offering this job but the bible says in hebrews chapter one and the verse number one to three the bible says long ago god spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets but now in these final days he has spoken to us through his son. Amen. God promised everything to the son. As an inheritance. And through the son. He created everything. Church. One of the reasons why Jesus is Lord. Is because everything in the world was created through him. Then verse 3 says. The son radiates God's own glory. And expresses the very character of God. And the son of God sustains everything on the earth by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, look at it, this is beautiful. When Jesus had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. When he had finished offering, because all this while the high priest goes into the temple and they only stand. There is no seat in the holy place. There is no seat in the holy of holies. They need to be doing that regularly. But when Jesus offered his final sacrifice, you see, because all the priests, all the priests, whenever they go to offer the sin, the sin is only covered by the blood that they poured on it. And they'll have to come here after year to keep doing that so there was no seat there because the moment you sit the work is finished the covering of sins did not end until jesus came offered the best and ultimate sacrifice and the bible said he now sat down hallelujah when he so when he said it is finished on the cross it was really finished when he finally sat down glory be to jesus that's why the bible says he ascended to heaven and sat down and if your king is sitting you have power to jubilate. You have power to move because the power comes from the throne when the king sits. Amen. Hallelujah. So that was why there was no chair 
among the furnitures in the tabernacle. Because the priests cannot sit. Because their work never finishes. But Jesus, hallelujah, Hebrews 1.3, after he had purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high because his work is completed. Our sins are forgiven completely. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, 11 to 12, Hebrews 10, 11 to 12, he's sitting on the mercy seat, making intercession for us because he has paid the ultimate price and he's worthy to sit. Amen. He is worthy to sit. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 to 12. Look at it there. It says, and every priest, I just told you that, but I want us to see it in scripture. Every priest stands daily. They stand. There was no place to sit because sin has not ended. Every time they offer the sacrifice, they have to come and do it all the time. They stand daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. It was only covering it, but it wasn't taking it away. But this man, Jesus Christ, after he had offered one powerful sacrifice for sins forever, for sins forever, he offered a sacrifice once and for all. The Bible says he sat down on the right hand of God. Hebrews 10, 11 to 12. This is the reason why the scripture says he was seated at the right hand of the father. Because he has finished the work. Amen. Hallelujah. This makes him Lord. All the other laws, they didn't offer themselves a sacrifice. But and even if they did. Their sacrifice will not be perfect because they were born of women and born of men. And their blood is not pure. But the blood of the Son of God was the required sacrifice. And after he had sacrificed, all other priests stand. But when he finished his own, he sat down. Glory be to Jesus. I said, your sins have been forgiven. So he sat down. Deliverance has come to you. That's why he sat down. All illnesses and diseases have been dealt with. So he sat down. Every complicated issue that came because of the fall of man, Jesus finished it once and for all by that powerful sacrifice his his sacrifice was a master sacrifice you know we've got keys and they say one is a master key that can open so many things sometimes the police have one they open everybody's house in the united kingdom they warn you first they are coming they'll come and open it they'll open it easily they'll open everything <laughs> they've got a master key but i want you to know apart from all sacrifices this one was master sacrifice amen and when he had finished, I just love this scripture. He sat down. He sat down. He sat down. Glory to Jesus. So you see, the, the, the most important thing here is that Christ offered a better sacrifice. And he paid for your sins. Past, present, and future. Once and for all. That is why he's seated. There is only one occasion when he stood. That he stands. And the scripture tells us that it is under circumstances where his people are in trouble. That he stands. Let me take you there and then we'll run to Hebrews to now look at what I've just shared with you from the scriptures. Amen. But please come with me to Acts chapter 7 and the verse 55. The occasion, the only occasion where we see that even though the Bible says he's gone to heaven and he's seated. The Bible says there are occasions where he stands. And the only time he stands is when you are in trouble. 
When his people are in trouble, when his people are under attack, he stands. I tell you, we have a powerful Lord. Amen. Amen. The Bible says in Acts chapter 7 and the verse number 55 and 56. The Bible says that when Stephen had delivered a powerful word and has confounded his enemies and has spoken with so much wisdom that they were not able to resist the spirit and wisdom by which he spoke. The Bible says they got themselves ready to stone him. And the Bible says, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. My God, a man of God stands on the earth and he can gaze into heaven. Hey, microwave your Christian life. Grow up in the spirit that you can stand on earth and gaze into heaven. My God, the man stood on earth and he could gaze into heaven and he saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. We are told that Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father. But on this occasion, when his servant was in trouble, Jesus was not sitting. He's standing. I came to announce to you, when the enemy comes against you, Jesus stands on your behalf. He's standing at the right hand of God. Look at verse 56. And he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. Amen. May Jesus stand on your behalf. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He was seated, but when there was trouble, he stood. I tell you, he's watching over you in Jesus' name. His sitting was necessary because he finished the work. Therefore, he could sit. Otherwise, all the priests daily don't sit, but they stand. The next major reason why he is Lord is because he is our eternal high priest. Eternal high priest. That makes him the perfect mediator. You see, in any negotiation, the credibility of the mediator is key to the success of the negotiation. When two people are fighting or disagreeing, there must be a mediator who comes in. And it must be someone that they all both parties respect. He carries a lot of weight to bring into the meeting. He has what it takes. And if there will be a success in that negotiation, it comes from the credibility of the mediator. Ladies and gentlemen, I announce to you, the Bible says Jesus Christ is the perfect mediator. You see, the priests, especially the high priests, one of their major functions of a high priest is that of an intercessor. The intercessor is a mediator. He goes in between two warring factions. That is why an intercessor stands between God and the people to make intercession on your behalf. When your pastor stands in intercession on your behalf, he's standing between the devil and you and pushing the devil away and pleading for God's mercy and grace over your life. Jesus was a perfect mediator. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 to 6 that for there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. His name is the man Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. And this is the message that God gave to the world. What makes him Lord is because he is a perfect mediator. As a high priest, a perfect mediator, because he's coming to the table, not just somebody with just a credibility, but actually he's coming to the table having offered his own blood for your redemption. So when he's coming to speak for there to be peace between God and you, he's able to say, I offered myself for this person. Therefore, Father, let it be that your mercy speaks. 
He's qualified to be a good and a great high priest and mediator. And he offered the perfect sacrifice. Amen. Please come with me to Hebrews chapter 4. This evening, we will journey through the scriptures so that you can get further understanding. But I've, I've summarized everything already earlier on. Hebrews chapter 4, we will go chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. <laughs> it will be very interesting. But you will learn some few things today to see his lordship. Hallelujah. Now, Hebrews 4, verse 14 to 16. Remember, we have read chapter 1. That's where we saw that after he had done all this, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says he has spoken to us. God has spoken to us through his son. If there's anybody to listen to, you must listen to the son of God. Amen. Amen. In your Christian Bible reading life, when you have read all the scriptures we are supposed to read, try your very best to read the words of Jesus too. Read the words of Jesus. Read the things that Jesus said. Go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the first part of the book of Acts. Read what Jesus said. And listen to what he's saying. And may the lessons there affect your life in Jesus' name. So the Bible tells us that, as I said, he's the eternal high priest. And he offered a perfect sacrifice as the mediator. And that's what makes him Lord. That is what makes him Lord. In Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, the Bible says, So then, since we have a great high priest, remember I told you that the things that happened in the Old Testament, they were the shadow of the real thing to come. Anytime you see the shadow, you see the shadow comes ahead. It's always cast ahead of the person. It comes before the main object appears. So the things in the Old Testament, God was painting the picture of the real thing to come in the New Testament. As we have always said, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so the contents of the Old Testament, we, can't, we won't do away with them. They are actually signs, patterns of what God is really painting that we will see in the New Testament. So when he established the priesthood, he was setting a picture. And remember that everything Moses was asked to do. He was giving the blueprint. He was giving the architectural designs and drawings. God gave him to him on the mountain. If you read your Exodus account, 25 verse 25, God gave him everything and told him, see to it that you construct the tabernacle, the ark and everything according to how and what I showed you on the mountain. And so God showed Moses how to do this and told him to establish priests and the high priests. And that the sacrifice for the sins of people have to be done with blood. And the high priest takes it to God and makes atonement and mediates and stands between God and the people and pleads and pours the blood to cover the sins of the people. So no one could be saved except through blood. But the blood that was shed in the Old Testament were the blood of bulls and goats. Even if they were human, they still don't have the capacity to save humans. And so God was painting the picture to come. That means... That if there's any final sacrifice, that final sacrifice will require a high priest. And that high priest will have to offer blood. And so that makes Jesus a high priest. And the scripture now says that at the cross, what happened mysteriously and spiritually was that the Old Testament priesthood from the line of Aaron 
came to an end. And there began a new covenant. Because to every covenant or testament, there must be a high priest. When the old covenant was contracted on Mount Sinai, God instructed Moses to ordain Aaron and consecrate him as the high priest, supported by priests who offered daily sacrifices. But then, their daily sacrifices could not save us. And so God had to prepare another covenant, which would be superior to the old covenant. And if that new covenant came into being, which we all call the New Testament, when Jesus was about to die and he instituted a communion, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Hallelujah. Not in the blood of bulls and goats. Not in the blood of any other person. But this is now the new covenant. If there is a new covenant, there must be a new high priest to mediate the terms of the new covenant. Because the old high priest was taking the blood of bulls to go and appeal to God and that only covered sins. But this one, this new covenant requires a new high priest. Please now let's journey into the scriptures in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. The Bible says, so then, since we have a great high priest, I just love the scriptures, not just a high priest, but a great high priest who has entered heaven. Now remember, that the things Moses was asked to construct from tabernacle that later became temple, everything there was a replica of what was in heaven. So if there's a new high priest, the Bible says Jesus didn't go to the temple physically to just pour the thing. He actually went into heaven to the original temple, to the original tabernacle, which was not made with human hands, to offer the sacrifice for sins once and for all. Glory be to Jesus. So the Bible says that since we have a high priest, a great high priest who has entered heaven, church, he has entered heaven in his capacity as high priest, Jesus, the son of God, in case you get confused as to who, the scripture didn't want any confusion. He says, we have a great high priest who has entered heaven. This great high priest who has entered heaven is Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. Hallelujah. Verse 15. This high priest of ours. My God, I'm glad I have a high priest. A great high priest. He understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings we do. That's why he came on the earth. And was tempted in all the ways like us. Both the spiritual testing that he received when he was asked by Satan to worship him. That was a test of the spirit. Then he was tested in the soul, the, the seat of your emotions and pride. He was asked to jump from that high place to do something spectacular and he didn't do it. And then he was also tempted in the flesh where he was told to turn these stones into bread and he didn't. So he was tempted in every point like us. We are all tempted in all these three areas. You are either tempted in the flesh, you are tempted in your soul and you are tempted in your spirit. And Jesus Pass the test. He's more qualified to be Lord. Glory be to Jesus. He understands our weaknesses. He, for he faced the same testings we do. Yet he did not sin. From tonight may the character of Christ be seen. So that when you are tempted in every way. You will still not sin. And the Bible says this high priest faced this. Is. So verse 16. Let us come boldly to the throne of gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. And we will find grace 
to help us when we need it most. Our high priest, this great high priest, has entered into heaven. Let's go to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 1 to 14. Chapter 5. So, then he now takes us to explain something to us. You see, he picked us from the fact that God the Son in chapter 1 is the one that has spoken to us. And that he, having purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Father. Then we go to verse 4, chapter 4, and he now teaches us that this high priest, who is the Son of God, has actually entered into heaven itself on our behalf. And is qualified as a priest to stand in the gap for us. Then in chapter 5, he takes us and he says, every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. See, when you become a priest or a pastor, you are chosen by God to stand in the gap and minister to people. It's not for you. It's not about you. It's about the people. And the Bible says he's chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. When other people have to deal with God, this priest stands in and represents them. That means that he stands in as if he is them so that he can plead. So when your pastor is interceding for you and you have got stomach ulcer, he prays as if he has got the ulcer. And he stands in the gap and prays until he could feel the thing gone and he believes that you are healed. That's how it is in intercession. And Christ was that mediator. Now look at it. Every high priest, the Bible says, presents their gifts to God. And they offer sacrifices for their sins. Verse 2. And he's able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weakness. That is why he must offer sacrifice for his own sins as well as theirs. So under normal circumstances, the high priest takes two bowls of blood because he's human and he's going to stand in the gap for others who have sinned. He too can sin. He too sins. So he has to offer first for himself. Then when he's qualified, then he can offer for the people. That's why whenever he goes into the, high, the place, he's carrying two. And he must offer his own first before he does for the people because he's not qualified to do those things unless the blood has cleansed him. Then he too can offer for people. And the Bible says that, and no one, verse 4, can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. If today's young men and women have read this scripture, they will understand. No one just wants to be a priest because you want the honor. Except he that is, he must be called by God for this work, just as Aaron was. Amen. When it comes to the calling of God, it's not ambition. Because the high priest in those days can enter that holy of holies and won't come back alive. As you carry the burdens of the people, you may not come back alive. When Jesus carried our burdens, he had to die for it. <laughs> and to rise again. Amen. So the Bible says, no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for this work. So the, the ministry of the high priest is work. You know, as I was saying last Sunday, sometimes some people say, the pastors should go and look for work. As if what we are doing is not work. <laughs> the Bible describes it already as work. It says that he must be called for this work. This thing is work. Just as Aaron was, 
Verse 5. That is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become high priest. Amen. No, he was chosen by God who said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. The root meaning of that scripture or what it should have been really is that you are my son and today I reveal you to the world as my son. That is the root meaning of that statement there. Verse 6, and in another passage, God said to his son, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So you see, these are callings that the father himself is calling the son into. Then the Bible says, while Jesus, verse 7, was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God the Father. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Verse 9, in this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest. There were high priests, but this one was the perfect high priest. Qualified by God. Qualified to stand in the gap for the forgiveness of the sins of humanity. That's what makes him Lord. That's the difference between him and Aaron. That's the difference between him and every other priest or high priest that we have ever seen or heard of. The Bible says he was appointed by God for this and he was qualified. And he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. Verse 10. And God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. There were high priests in the order of Aaron. The descendants of Aaron, the children of Aaron, they became high priests. The rest of the Levites can become priests. But high priests must be a son of Aaron. But the Bible says there was another order. And that was the order of Melchizedek. A man mysteriously recorded in Genesis chapter 14. Abraham met him. Abraham offered tithes to him. The Bible says he was known as the priest of the most high God. And he blessed Abraham. If we believe Abraham was greater, he met someone greater than him. And that one was already a priest. And when Abraham met him, the Bible says he brought forth wine and bread. And ministered it to Abraham. And then Abraham gave him tithes. Ladies and gentlemen, the last time we see another person bring forth and minister bread and wine, it was the Lord Jesus Christ just before he was crucified. Melchizedek offered wine and bread. Jesus offered wine and bread. And the Bible says Jesus' priesthood is not after the order of Aaron because the order of Aaron all the priests daily offer sacrifices and those sacrifices still could not cure our sins. There must be another priesthood. So the Bible says Jesus Christ was designated by God to be priest in the order of Melchizedek. Verse 11. There's much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain. Especially since most some of you are spiritually dull and you don't seem to listen. This evening I pray for you that you don't fall into the category of the one that Paul was describing in Hebrews. He said, there are so many things we want to teach you, but you are so dull of hearing. 
You are so dull of hearing spiritual things, but you are quick to hear worldly stuff. All kinds of strange things that you are quick to hear. This evening, may your ears be oiled in the name of Jesus. May your appetite be strong for the things of the Spirit. May you grow quickly in the things of God. He says, you don't seem to listen. Verse 12, you have been believers so long, so long now, that you ought to be teaching others. But at this stage, you are not growing. You have to be teaching others. May you be a believer who is teaching others now. Instead, you need someone to teach you again even the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot still eat solid food. How can you be 18 years and still want to, 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 to suck breast milk? You want to eat baby food. It means that you, see, either this child, there's something wrong with the child, or the child is so lazy that it doesn't still want to eat solid food. So you want quick, quick one, Cerilac. Still want to eat Cerilac. Morning, afternoon, evening, Cerilac. Still drinking from a feeding bottle. The Bible says there is a place in Christ where we grow and mature to eat solid food. There's a place you must come to in God where you are not just rushing some scriptures because you don't understand them. So there are, there are some Christians, they have been Christians for many years, gone to church for so many years, but they don't read some books in the Bible. They have never completed the book of Ezekiel. They have never. Revelations, they don't touch it. It's horror movie. They won't touch lamentations. Every time, Psalm 23, they open it at the head of their bed. As if the scripture should read itself. The Bible says you are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature. Who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So we are told in chapter 5 that this high priest represents people. High priests represent people and offer sacrifice on their behalf. Let's jump to chapter 6. Verse 18 to 20, chapter 6. So God has given both his promise and his oath. You see, in chapter 5, we learned that God was the one who designated Jesus Christ to be a high priest. Not after the line of Aaron, but after the line of Melchizedek. Because Jesus Christ came from a tribe of which Moses said nothing about priesthood. For you to be priest in Israel, you have to be from the line of Levi. Jesus did not come from the line of Levi. So if he's going to be a high priest, his, his lineage must be from somewhere. And that is from a forever priesthood. Because Melchizedek, as we will find out, was without father or mother. No beginning of days, no end of days. That was a mysterious character that appeared in the Old Testament. And he's a type of Christ. Hallelujah. And the Bible says Christ's priesthood is after that order. That order is a forever priesthood. The line of Aaron ended at the cross. But the line of Melchizedek continues through Christ Jesus. That's what makes him Lord. Amen. Now, verse 18 to 20 in Hebrews chapter 6. It says, so God has given both his promise and his oath. Can you imagine that? You see, there's a difference between a promise and an oath. People can make promises and they don't add an oath to it. So they may not be bound by it. But when you make a promise, 
and you make a vow on the promise, you have added an oath to it. So you are bound to act on your promise. That's exactly what God made. So when God gave Christ as a designated high priest after the order of Melchizedek, the Bible said that God gave both his promise and his oath. That's why he said, the Bible said, he vowed and said, you are my son. And today I have manifested myself as your father. And you are a priest forever. He made an oath to that. The Bible said these two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Those of us who have believed in Jesus, we have great confidence because Christ will perform what he has promised because God's ordination of him was based on a promise and an oath. Amen. And the Bible says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's sanctuary. We are heading somewhere now. We are being introduced to the curtain that leads us into the Holy of Holies. And for Christ to qualify as high priest, the Bible says that his was based on a promise of God and an oath of God that he's qualified to stand in that place on behalf of humanity. What a good news. And the Bible says that he is trustworthy and that leads us, that faith in him immediately leads us into that very place where God is. Verse 20, Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest. Not a temporary high priest. Eternal. Eternal. That is forever. He's a high priest forever. So what happens is that as he sits at the right hand of the father, is actually sitting right at the mercy seat. And if anything goes wrong, he still pleads to the Father and says, I sorted this one out. Their sins still must be forgiven. Anytime they lift their voice, remember what I did. Oh, what I did. Lord, remember Maxwell for what I did. Therefore, Lord, remember Pastor Hammond for what I did. Lord, remember Suzanne for what I did. You see, he's sitting there and, and doing all of these things. If you try to understand it with the human mind, you won't be able to catch it because this finite mind cannot comprehend the magnificence and omnipotence of an infinite God. This God is so big that we can't condense him into this finite head. But we must believe it by faith. He's doing that and he can do that for all the millions of believers on the face of the earth. And on behalf of anyone who today hears the gospel, when they hear the gospel and they make the sinner's prayer, the father, Jesus sits there and says, this one was also part of the reason I went to the cross. Uh, let his prayer now ascend and let him also be forgiven and now send the Holy Spirit on his behalf. And that is exactly what happens. The Bible says Jesus has already gone in there. He has gone into God's inner sanctuary. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Hallelujah. Now, he has mentioned Melchizedek to us in chapter 5 and chapter 6. Now, he's going to explain Melchizedek to us in chapter 7. So we can understand this whole ministry of the Lordship of Christ. He did not become Lord because the Father wanted to call him Lord. He qualified as Lord when he finished that work at Calvary with his own blood. Chapter 7, verse 1 to 23, and then we jump 25 to 38. We'll miss 28, sorry. This Melchizedek was king of the city of Salem and also a priest of God Most High. 
When Abraham was returning home after winning a great battle against the kings, Melchizedek met him and blessed him. Then Abraham took a tenth, the tithe, of all he had captured in battle and gave it to Melchizedek. Hallelujah. If Jesus is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek and is an eternal high priest, and the Bible tells us that when Abraham met Melchizedek, he gave him tithes. You will realize that tithes were being given long before Levi and his bloodline were even born. Because when Abraham gave tithes, Isaac had not been born. <laughs> and Isaac gave birth to Jacob and Jacob gave birth to Levi. And Levi was qualified to receive tithes on behalf of the people. But the Bible says that even Levi was in Abraham's loins when Abraham gave the tithe. That priesthood still received tithes. Amen. Now the Bible says that then Abraham took a tenth of all he had captured in battle. One tenth of all his profits. Everything he captured in battle, he took it and brought it. The name Melchizedek means king of justice. And king of Salem means king of peace. Does it sound like prince of peace? Hallelujah. Amen. There is no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors. No beginning, no end of his life. Ladies and gentlemen, the only human, the only person that fits such a criteria will have to be a God. Who has no beginning and has no end. Amen. He remains a priest forever. He remains a priest forever resembling the son of God. Consider then how great this Melchizedek was. Even Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, recognized this by giving him a tenth of what he had taken in battle. Abraham didn't know him from anywhere. But as soon as he met this man, he knew there's something different about him. He knew he could pick it by revelation that this is an anointed of God. This is a special thing. This is different from every other human being. And the Bible says this Melchizedek has no father and has no mother. How did he exist? God has no father, has no mother. Amen. And Jesus, this man, the Bible says, is a priest forever. Verse 5. Now the law of Moses required that the priests who descended from Levi must collect a tithe from the rest of the people of Israel, who are also descendants of Abraham. But Melchizedek, who was not a descendant of Levi, collected a tithe from Abraham. And Melchizedek placed a blessing upon Abraham. Have you seen when the tithe is given, blessing is pronounced? The one who had already received promises from God. Can you imagine this? That tells you how great Melchizedek was. Because Abraham was already a man that has received the promises from God. And yet, despite all the promises on Abraham, when he met Melchizedek, Melchizedek pronounced blessing on him. What? That tells you that the man is greater than Abraham. And no wonder, one day when the disciples, when the people, the, the, the Jews and the Pharisees told Jesus, that he is young. And he told them before Abraham. If Father Abraham rejoiced to see my days. And when he saw it. He was glad. They said you are young. You are not even 50. Where did you see Abraham? Liar. Then he said before Abraham. I am. Hey. Are you enjoying the scriptures? This is the. These are the unadulterated word of God. This thing are not. This is not a manufacturer of fishermen. 
who haven't been to school. This is the Holy Ghost taking us through. We are just sitting in Hebrews and we are proving things from, and we are just dancing and bringing it to the glory of God. Amen. I just feel the anointing to teach tonight. In Jesus' name, let's, let's carry on. We, we are staying in Hebrews and we are moving chapter by chapter as we learn tonight, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, Melchizedek placed a blessing upon Abraham who already had received promises of God. And without question, the person who has the power to give a blessing is greater than the one who is blessed. Very clear. That if Melchizedek could pronounce blessing, then means he is already greater than the one he's blessing. And the Bible says, the priests who collect tithes, they are human beings who die. So Melchizedek is greater than they are because we are told he continues to live. Melchizedek continues to live. In addition, we might even say that these Levites, the ones who collect the tithe, they paid a tithe to Melchizedek when their ancestor Abraham paid a tithe to him. Glory be to Jesus. Verse 10, for although Levi wasn't born yet, the seed from which he came was in Abraham's body. When Melchizedek collected a tithe from him. You see, <laughs> I can stand here again and take you to another level of generational blessings and connections. That what an ancestor may do can have an effect on descendants. The Bible says when Abraham tithed, Levi actually tithed whilst he was in Abraham's loins. Man. But he wasn't there. Abraham gave birth to Isaac. Isaac gave birth to Jacob. Jacob gave birth to, 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 to Levi. And yet we are being told that actually when Abraham was given, generationally, it was as though Levi was also given. May the Lord help us to understand deep spiritual things. That our sacrifices today will go a long way to affect our children's children. In the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the Bible said, For although... Levi wasn't born. The seed from which he came was in Abraham's body when Melchizedek collected a tithe from him. So if the priesthood of Levi, on which the law was based, could have achieved the perfection God intended, why did God need to establish a different priesthood? Are you here? The Bible says that if the priesthood of Levi, on which the law, the whole of the Old Testament laws, they were based on the priesthood of Levi, and that priesthood still could not achieve perfection that God intended because even Levi, who was in Abraham, Abraham was not greater than Melchizedek. The Bible says, why did God need to establish a different priesthood with a new priest in the order of Melchizedek instead of the order of Levi and Aaron? Verse 12, and if the priesthood is changed, the law must also be changed to permit it. Hallelujah. The law came through Moses, but grace came through Jesus Christ. For the priesthood is changed, the law must also be changed. And the Bible says, for the priest we are talking about belongs to a different tribe whose members have never served at the altar as priests. What I mean is, verse 14, our Lord Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. And Moses never mentioned priests coming from that tribe. This change has been made very clear since a different priest who is like Melchizedek has appeared. Jesus became a priest not by meeting the physical requirements of belonging to the tribe of Levi, 
but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. Hallelujah. Jesus became a high priest by a power that cannot be destroyed. I like the old King James. He says, by the, pow by, by the power of an endless life, an endless life. Christ is Lord because he became high priest by the power of an endless life. Levi and the others, they became priests and their power of living ended because they all died, including Aaron. But Christ, through Melchizedek, still lives forever and ever and is a much more qualified high priest. Amen. The Bible says, Jesus didn't become a priest by meeting the physical requirements of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. Verse 17, and the psalmist pointed this out when he prophesied, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Amen. Now, verse 18, yes, the old requirement about the priesthood was set aside because it was weak and useless. That's why the line of Levi cannot save us. That's why they are not qualified to save us. That's why on that day in Calvary, as Jesus breathed his last and said it is finished, the veil to the Holy of Holies was torn from top to bottom. It was at the same moment that the high priest back in that day was carrying blood and was climbing up the stairs and he saw what normally shouldn't be seen. The veil has been torn. Nobody must see that place and leave. But ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus went in, we can see the place and leave. We can now stand anywhere and lift up holy hands and call on the name of the Lord and we shall be saved. We don't need to face Jerusalem to be saved. We don't need to face Jerusalem to pray for God to hear us. We don't need to face north, east or west. Anywhere we stand in the name of Jesus, access to the most holy place, to the very presence of God is granted. That's why he's Lord. He's the only one qualified to take us there when we call his name. And the Bible says... That therefore, for the Lord never made anything perfect. Verse 19. But now we have confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. This new system was established with a solemn oath. Aaron's descendants became priests without an oath. They just became priests. Moses was instructed, raise Aaron's descendants to become priests. There was no oath attached. But there was an oath regarding Jesus. For God said to him, the Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever. Hallelujah. You are a high priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. Hey, Jesus guarantees this is a better covenant. It is better than the covenant of the Old Testament. It is better than the covenant of blood of bulls and goats. This is the covenant. That is better established upon Christ himself. Verse 23. There were many priests under the Old Testament. Under the old system. For death prevented them from remaining in office. <laughs> Therefore, Jesus is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. This is what he's doing when he sat down. Amen. He is the kind of, because he's, he's blameless apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself 
as the sacrifice for the people's sins. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath. And his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. Amen. Hallelujah. Wow. What a blessing. Look at chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 1 to 7. It says, after all this I'm saying, now here is the main point of what I'm talking about. <laughs> I like Paul. I believe he wrote Hebrews. He said, this is the main point of what I'm teaching you. Here is the main point. That one, we have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There, he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle. You know, some of you wonder, when Jesus went to heaven, what is he doing? The Bible says, in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship, that was built by the Lord himself, not the one that was in Jerusalem, not the one that Moses and Aaron and Solomon and the others made. All those things were copies of the real thing. But the real thing is where Jesus went. The Bible says we have a high priest who has sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering to you. Verse 4, if he were on earth, he would not even be a priest, since there already are priests who offer the gifts required by the law. They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build a tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I've shown you here on the mountain. Verse 6. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. Are you here? Jesus has a far superior ministry of priesthood than the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a better covenant with God. He is the one that stands in and says, Father, bless this one because I have paid the price on the cross. Every other thing that sin brought, that the devil brought from the sin of Adam, any problem that happened on the earth, the falling state of the earth, the troubles of men, the sicknesses of men, the diseases of men, the challenges of men, every other thing, Jesus is the mediator of a superior covenant. He standing in the gap when we pray in his name he activates it and he brings it to the father's attention and said jesus father see him see them see her as you see me as you see the blood at calvary see them because my blood is on them you have been marked by the blood hallelujah my god and the bible says jesus our high priest has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood for he's the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises if the first covenant verse 7 had been faultless there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it so if we have the new covenant it tells you there was something wrong with the first one they have 40 priests but we have got a faultless high priest chapter 9 the Bible says that in verse 1 that first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. There were two rooms in that tabernacle. 
In the first room, there were a lampstand, a table, and sacred loaves of bread on that table. Have you seen what is in there now? He's telling us, it's now drawing us into the, that tabernacle to see where, the, where Jesus went and the copy of what was on the earth. And he says that that thing which was in Jerusalem, that thing which they had, there was a lampstand, a table, sacred loaves of bread on that table. This room was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain. And behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place or the holy of holies. Verse 4. In that room, there was a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the Ark were a gold jar containing manna and a wooden chest, sorry, sprouted leaves and the stone tablets of the covenant. So the Ark of Covenant carried the, ten, the tables that had the Ten Commandments on it, inside it. And it also had the, the Aaron staff that sprouted leaves. And then it also had the jar containing manna. And the Bible says above the ark were the cherubim of divine glory. These were the two angels. They are very, there is another type of a category of angels in heaven. There are two of them, the seraphims and the cherubims. And these ones, the Bible says they were over the divine glory. Their wings stretched out over the ark's cover, the place of atonement. But we cannot explain these things in detail now. When these things were all in place, the priest regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties. The first room. Remember all this we have mentioned? No chair. Then the Bible says, but only the high priest ever entered the most holy place. And only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins first and for the sins of the people. That they had committed in ignorance. Verse 8. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and its systems were still in use. The place where God is was not open. The Bible says in verse 9, this is an illustration pointing to the present time. For the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the consciences of the people who bring them. The sacrifice that they brought, all of them could not cleanse their sins. Couldn't cleanse them. For that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies, physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established. That's why some religions today are still copying them and they are proudly saying, this is how it was in Abraham. And they wash three times a day, five times a day. All those things have been thrown aside. All those washings, Christ washed with his blood once and for all. All these three times washing, ablution, all those things. Clean your ears, back of the ear, and then your mouth, and all those things. Then legs, and uh, listen, those things don't cleanse sin. It was set up in the Old Testament as a copy and a template of the reality to come. The real thing is Christ. I say Christ is the real thing. All these other religions that must face some East before. That is a limited God. That is a limited God. So, so if you are drowning in water, how do you know where the East was to call on this God? But we serve a living God in Jesus' name. May you be born again. Hallelujah. The Bible says Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. Verse 11. 
He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven. You see where he entered. That's why when the veil turned, you didn't see anybody there. Because he has moved the thing. He has gone beyond it. Which was not made by human hands. And it's not part of this created world. That's where Christ is gone to. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and cows, he entered the most holy place once for all and secured our redemption forever. Amen. Hallelujah. He died for us. We don't need to die for him. We don't need to go and commit suicide bombing for him. We don't need to do any of all those things because he has paid the price. Under the old system, the Bible says, verse 12, with his own blood, blood of goat, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Verse 13, under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Verse 14, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences. You see the power of the blood. It, it, it doesn't cleanse outside things. It cleanses our conscience to the extent that when you have committed sins in the past, there is a place where you come to and you no longer believe that you are a sinner. You are able to stand before God and worship God and you don't feel guilty about any sin again because that, that power of the blood has cleansed your conscience. This is the power of the Lordship of Christ. Under the oath, the blood of goose could cleanse people from ceremony. Verse 14. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. When that happens, that's how we can all now worship. That's how we can praise God. That's why we have people who have been in the world, done some crazy stuff, and they could still come out and serve God and preach, and the power of God will move because that is how the power of the blood is speaking. I know people who have been murderers and they were jailed and they went into prison. They became born again. They have come out of prison and they are preaching Christ and the anointing of God is on them. The power of God is on them and there is no sense of guilt. Not that they are, they are remorseless, but they have believed they have been forgiven. The power of the blood that Jesus offered. Hallelujah. Aaron did not offer his blood. <laughs> and the Bible says, that so that we can worship the living God for by the power of the eternal spirit Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins verse 15 and that is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised to them for Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins that they had committed under the first covenant See, when Jesus died, the penalty of the sin committed by Adam, Eve, and everyone in creation, he dealt with it once and for all. He didn't need to be coming and going as the other high priests are doing. This is permanent. So when I see other religions and, and sometimes people from my own background, you know, claiming to be Israelites and doing sacrifices like them. Listen, that is an old, obsolete system. It has no power of saving. The real thing has come already. Connect to that one. What you are having is non-sila. It's outside the syllabus. We are finished with that. Come to Christ in Jesus' name. He offers a better sacrifice. 
spare the lives of those goats and bulls. All those purifications at river sites and all those things we are purifying the land. The blood of animals can't purify the land. That drop of the blood of Christ at Calvary dealt with the curse of the thorns on the earth when that first curse was pronounced. The blood dropping in Calvary sorted everything out. It's a powerful blood. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he's Lord. Those who have not qualified can't call themselves Lord. There are some Indian religious leaders called Lord something. Lord. Those, those, are, those are human lords. <laughs> they, they can't take such a thing. Christ is Lord. Amen. Let's finish this. Let's finish this tonight. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. 15. This is why he's the one who mediates a covenant between God and people. So that all who are called can receive the eternal sacrifice. Eternal inheritance God has promised to them. Verse, for Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sins that they had committed under the first covenant. Verse 16. Now when someone leaves a will, it is necessary to prove that the person who made the will is dead. A will can only come into effect when the one who made the will has died. If we can prove the person is still alive, the will can't be enforced. So the Bible says, the will goes into effect only after the person's death. While the person who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. This is why even the first covenant was put into effect with the blood of an animal. It must die. For after Moses had read each of God's covenants to the people, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water and sprinkled both the book of God's law and all the people using hyssop, blood on the tabernacle and on everything used for worship. Then he said, the blood confirms the covenant God has made with you. Verse 21, in the same way, he sprinkled blood on the tabernacle and on everything used for worship. Verse 22, in fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Verse 23, that is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies, you see, don't work with the copies, go for the original. The tabernacle and everything, they were copies of things in heaven. Have you seen it there? It wasn't just made, they were copies of things in heaven. And had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven, hey, the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made by human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself, verse 24, to appear now before God on our behalf. That's where he went when he said it is finished. He took his own blood and entered heaven itself. He didn't enter the copy. He sent a sign that what is about to take place in heaven would take place on the earth. So the veil was torn into two. He ascended to heaven, to the real temple, not the ordinary one here. That's why we don't have it there anymore. That's why we don't need to move there to worship God. We only travel there to see that once upon a time, the Son of God came and walked here. That the Bible is true, but our worship is to him in spirit and in truth. Amen. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to now appear before God on our behalf. Verse 25, and he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again, like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. But if that had been necessary, 
Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, somebody shout now. Once and for all, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ was offered once. Church, he was offered once. Once and for all. Amen. To take away sacrifice, the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all those who are eagerly waiting for him. Amen. And finally, Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. And the verse number 11. Maybe let's take it from verse 8. First, Christ said, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them. Then he said, Look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second covenant in effect. Ladies and gentlemen, the second covenant is in effect. And the second covenant is mediated by a great high priest. His name is Jesus. And that high priesthood is an eternal high priesthood. For God's will was to make us holy by the sacrifice of the body of his son, Jesus Christ. Once and for all. Key verse is verse 11. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day. Offering the same sacrifices again and again. Which can never take away sins. All those sacrifices cannot take away sins. Anyone building their hope on the old sacrificial system, it doesn't take away sins. But the Bible says, but our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins. Good for all time. Amen. Good for all times. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he awaits until his enemies are humbled and made a full stool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect all those who are being made holy. By that one offering, you are being made perfect. And the Holy Spirit also testified this and says, This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. Can you imagine this? This is the power of the Lordship of Christ. That when his blood was shed for us, and when we go under that, God says he will not remember our sins. Now you will remember yours, but God says he can't. <laughs> you are struggling to understand that. But that's what makes him God. That's the power in the blood. That forgives sins completely. Listen, it's a joy to know your sins can be forgiven. It's a joy to understand your sins has been forgiven. You can move forward. You can pray. You can do so many things because the Lordship of Christ has guaranteed total forgiveness of sins. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And that's why the Bible says that, and when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. That's why he's not coming to die again. He's done it once and for all. The reason why the, all the Old Testament priests were going back and forth because the sins were never forgiven. They were just covered. When anything shifts, the Father still sees. But Jesus' own is so powerful, is so potent, is so powerful than any bleach that humans can manufacture. And it washes, chisels out of memory the sins. And God says, I won't even remember. It is removed from the hard drive. Only you remember. 
but God has chosen to forgive in the mighty name of Jesus. His name is above all names. At his name, demons live. Sicknesses are healed. Restoration, full restoration to your original position in Adam in the beginning is what happens when that lordship is manifested through the blood. Tonight, I have shared with you the lordship of Christ. Take confidence and faith in it. In Jesus' name.